0: I'm here today to deal with our passage in John. So if you guys would turn with me to John chapter 9, verse 1 through 7. As he passed by, Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, "Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent." So he went and washed and came back seeing. As we we are living in in really. Crazy times. We're about to enter another political season where the rhetoric is going to really ratchet up. Where both sides of the political spectrum are going to try to convince us that if the other side wins, they will destroy all of humanity as we know it. And it In the the midst of all of that, we also are plagued, aren't we, like almost week after week after week with moments of judgment that are being examined publicly. We are constantly having pop up on Facebook and on our news feed. 10 to 20 seconds of video about which we are um, told that we are supposed to have an opinion right then, right there, right now about what is right and wrong in that situation. A couple weeks ago, we, we, we really drilled down into this idea that Really, maybe the chief problem of man is that man who is fully human has a tendency to think that he can be fully God. That that all of us sort of have this innate, foolish thinking that the way we perceive things is correct. I, I didn't need to learn that. I don't know about you, but I I just automatically walked around my whole life thinking that the way I saw things was the way they were. And if I don't check myself, I still do the same thing. You know, it's interesting. Moon and I get really excited about this thing called the Enneagram. And what it does is it looks at all these different types of people. Um, and it divides people by their core motivation. And... Uh, and it's not like a positive motivation, it's it's sort of like a fear, right? So my type, which is the eight, which is the takeover, rule the world, Hitler type. Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa too, so there's some good people there. Um, my type is always concerned with power. Not that anyone here is surprised by that, based on what I preach about all the time. And, and uh, their biggest fear is to be controlled by somebody. You never f- figure that out about me, right? Um, and, and, and so eights, when they are unhealthy, can be very dangerous people, right? Well, right, right next to me on the Enneagram is a, a person that's the nine, And the nine is a peacemaker. Their greatest desire in life is to make sure that there's no conflict very different motivations, right? But they say nine, sometimes the most arrogant, uh, least uh, uh, self-reflective group of people, because they're always trying to keep the peace, and they're always trying to avoid conflict. I guess what I'm saying is, is that a nine will, will see the world completely different than an eight, and a one, and a two, and they, they do numbers. But they will kind of see everything through their filter. And they will decide right and wrong based on their filter. And so that's why when we try to do life with each other, we have different personality types, different life experiences, different truths that are our truths. And that is the lens by which we see the world. And if we think that we as a fully person can be omniscient like a fully God, we will have the biggest mess you've ever seen. Whether that's in the church or out of the church, it doesn't matter. But the principle is sort of the same. And so it is to people like you and me, people that have a tendency to think that our way of seeing things is the right way, you know, even if you're a nine and you you just want people to get along and so you go along with what the eights and the ones and the people that want to take over are doing, in your mind you're still judging them and a lot of times thinking that they're not cool, right? Right? So you're going along, but you don't necessarily agree with it, or you don't necessarily see the world that they see it, you know? So what are we supposed to do about this? If all of us are coming from our perspective, how do we make decisions about what happened with Jacob Blake and what we're supposed to do about it? And I'm sorry, yet would you want that decision in your hands right now? You have 30 seconds to decide. Is this guy gonna keep me from going home to my family tonight? Or am I gonna keep him going home from my family, his family tonight? The reality is none of us see things absolute, with absolute clarity. How, how many times have you been in a situation and you just reacted? And it was only later that, that you saw that error of your reaction. Right? And so I, I don't understand How we as people think we can make such life and death decisions so flippantly. I mean, when is a baby a baby? Two months in the womb, three months in the womb, four months? Can you you decide when that is? Do you know for sure? Do you know absolutely for sure when terminating that pregnancy becomes murder? and when it isn't, how would you figure that out? All these decisions that are thrown to us, there's all these decisions and judgments that we have to make as people that have life and death consequences. And and how do we do it? And it is to people like this that Jesus comes with the, the second great I am statement of the book of John. The first I am statement was, I am the bread of life. And we kind of started to scratch the surface on that. That is so deep, I think I'll be wrestling with that for the rest of my life, what that means. But, but in this passage, in, in chapter 8 of John, which Jonathan Morgan went over, Last week in chapter 9, Jesus is declaring himself. He's saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And what is light? What is light for? Light is so you can see. Light is so you can see clearly. And so here comes Jesus who says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I am here, I'm going to help you see clearly. So let's look at this passage and go a little deeper in As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. So this kid had never seen anything, ever, his whole life. They noticed right away when he was a baby that he didn't respond to any visual stimulus. And Jesus said, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So this was a common question in their culture. And it it betrays sort of a, a wrong thinking about sin. You see, if you only think of sin as what you do or don't do, you're missing the whole point of what the Bible says about sin. We, we talk about committing sins, and those that commit sins are sinners. But sin is not so much something that you do, it's more of a state that you're in. And so the wrong thinking here is that that his parents did something or somehow he did something before he was born that caused him to be blind. X equals Y. It was like a a cause and effect way of them thinking about sin. Jesus is going to kind of confront that, and as he confronts that, he's going to take us back where John is always taking us back to, to the story of the Exodus in Egypt. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And this sounds very similar to what God said about Pharaoh in Exodus 9.16. In Exodus 9.16, this is, uh, I'll start at 15, or 14. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants. This is, this is Moses telling uh, Pharaoh uh, what God has told him to tell him. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been a cut off from the earth. This is God telling Pharaoh, I could snap my fingers and you would be gone. Just like that. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people, and you will not let them go." So what God is saying here is, he is allowing Pharaoh to remain hardened so that he can prove to the nations that the false gods of Egypt are false gods. So that the name of God can be exalted and lifted up over the idols of all the nations. The, the beginning plagues deal with the gods of Egypt, right? So he attacks the Nile, that's the center of of their economy. Then he creates frogs, and frogs were there. Was, there was a frog goddess, who was the the one that. That actually, uh, after, the, after the main god created people on a, on, a, on a sculpture wheel, she breathed the life into them. That's how they were born. Right? And so when, when God brought frogs out of Egypt, he was saying, your gods are not in control, I'm in control. And one plague after another, after another, after another. is meant to prove to these people that the things that you put your trust in, the way that you have, the the mechanism you have developed to understand reality that has put you and your Pharaoh at the center of the universe, I am going to show you in plague after plague after plague after plague that your gods are not in control. You know, sometimes I wonder, do we get the officials we get because God wants to show us you are not in control. Sometimes God's judgment comes on a nation exactly where they think they're in control. So if there's somebody you don't want to get elected, maybe the answer isn't to vote for the other person. Maybe the answer is to stop thinking you're in charge. It's to stop thinking that you can make the world change through politics alone. Maybe the answer isn't a campaign, maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's turning away from man and facing again God. And so Jesus is is, is healing this blind man. And he's telling his disciples this this wasn't this man's doing. And in some ways, God was saying the same thing about Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not the only person guilty of this. He's a representative of all y'all guilty of trying to exalt other gods above me. It's so fun to pick on the villain, right? It's so, Put him up there. Hitler. I'm not going to say any names, but... It's, so, it's, so, it's almost fun to find that really awful person and just throw darts at them all day long because who don't we have to look at while I'm throwing darts at that person? I don't have to look at the part of them that's in me, right? Jesus answered, it was not this man... That this man sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. I believe that is the hour, the the night that is coming. It's the hour we keep reading about throughout the book of John. His hour had not come. The hour when God would turn away and put the entire sin of humanity on Jesus so he could put it to death on us. But until then, Jesus said, I'm going to expose darkness. The day Jesus died, do you remember what happened? It was dark, right? The light of the world was snuffed out. I think that's what he's talking about. But until then, he's saying, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Can you guys think of another time that God took some mud and did something with it? Right? Book of Genesis. God took yeah, the dust of Adam the ground and made Adam. And so Jesus spits something that would be considered dirty but because it's Jesus spit. It's good spit. It's good to have Jesus spit on you. And he makes mud. And where does he put it? He puts it on the eyes of the blind man. We've been talking about the born again project. And where does being born again start for this blind man? It starts with Jesus giving him new eyes. New ways to see. The new creation starts when the light of the world comes and helps you to see in a different way than what you've been seeing. Having said these things, okay. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So this blind man who was born blind becomes an apostle, a sent one by God. God opens somebody's eyes, and then he sends them. And that is what many of us here in the park today and many of us here on Zoom have experienced, is that that our eyes have been opened, and then we have been sent by God as soon as our eyes were opened. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to them, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So we know how the Pharisees feel about that. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I wash and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. He has corrupt Politicians, corrupt leaders, corrupt pastors, corrupt whoever, they do not care that people get healed. They don't care about that. They care that they keep their position. And Jesus doing this on the Sabbath breaks their rules, and if their rules get broken, they might lose control. And so they can't have it. And he said to them, he... He put mud on my eyes and a wash, and I see some of the Pharisees say, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. I just want to pause there for a moment. This is not the same as being put out of church. All right? Being put out of the synagogue. We read that and we're like, all right, just go to the next synagogue. All right? That is not what is happening here. To be put out of the synagogue for these people is to be... Your, your citizenship in the United States revoked. You can't vote. You can't get a driver's license. No more public aid if something happens to you. But it even goes deeper than that. No more table fellowship with the in crowd. The friends you have here today, you don't have them anymore. You have been cast out of the synagogue. And who had the authority to do that? The Pharisees. It's very, very important that we understand the consequence of being cast out of a synagogue. And it's very interesting, isn't it, that John brings this into the story, that he focuses on this part of the story. A man has just been healed of his blindness. A blind man can now see. But something deeper is going on here. There's a deeper question happening here. There's a question about who Jesus is. And there is a line that has been put in the sand and that line is this if you acknowledge that jesus is lord if you acknowledge that he is the christ if you live in obedience and following him you will be cast out this man like all of us is put in a situation where he has to count the cost, and so are his parents. They brought The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called his parents. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man talking about Jesus is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you have not listened. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from? and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, And you would teach us, and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. We go back to Egypt, we see a Moses that plague after plague after plague comes to Pharaoh. It proves to him again and again and again, the Pharaoh is not God. The Pharaoh's heart was hardened. But, the, but there's one plan when, when God brings the locusts, and wipes out the entire food supply, Pharaoh says, I have sinned, get out of here. But keep the women and the children back. And Moses said, We're not gonna keep the women and the children back. And he says, He says, Well, then I'm not gonna let you go. And then God brings darkness, blindness to Egypt and light to the Israelites. Clearly demonstrating that the sun god that they worship, they probably went, the sun went down, the, the sun god went down yesterday. He never came back. Everything they've stood on, everything they believe in, All of their foundation is being rocked. Completely being rocked. And Pharaoh still chooses not to repent. But not just Pharaoh. What about Joe Blow, Egyptian? Right? Not the leader, not the bad guy, but the the bad guy's supporter. You know, the one who's the nice neighbor, who sends their kids to college, who works hard, right? Has a 401K, is being responsible, lets you borrow sugar when you need it. Found your cat and brought it back to you. Not the, not the people enslaving you, but just the Egyptian next door. What the Bible says is in the plague of the of the hail, Moses said to all the people, hail is coming, get your livestock and your servants in, in a place of protection. And the Bible says that some of them listened to him. So that by the time that we got to the 10th plague, the Egyptians should have seen also that our God is not the God, and the Pharisees are the new Pharaoh. I call them pharaoh right? Because they are oppressing the people and God is in front of them. And you, you go back to John 8 and Jesus changes the conversation. He keeps saying, I am sent from God. I am sent from God. I am sent from God. That is Moses' language. Moses sent to Pharaoh language. But he takes it even another step further. It was I am who sent Moses. Jesus says before Abraham was, I am. guys the living god incarnate was right in front of the pharisees and they denied it just like Pharaoh and here's where i, I believe john wants to make us uncomfortable because if you are reading john as a person who lived in that culture In John 8, when Jesus is preaching against the Pharisees, when he's saying, I am the light of the world, you should know me, you should know me. John puts this little phrase in. He says, And Jesus taught this while he was standing next to the treasury in the temple. And the treasury in the temple was the bank of Jerusalem, it was the FDIC. And the conscripted Israelites were the source of Egypt's power. Do you understand why economy matters to God and why it especially matters to the devil? Because how you make a living, you have to deal with it every day. How you get to eat is something that you live with every day. That's why God cares about sex, too, because whether you want to admit it or not, from the time you hit puberty, your sex drive is something that you are dealing with all the time. And God cares about those things because they get right into who we are and where we live. We have a tendency to preach Christianity as it's something that's good for you after you die. And that's totally backwards. God deals with here and now. If all Jesus cared about was getting you into heaven, man, you'd say the sinner's prayer and poof, you'd be there. Doesn't that make sense? The reason the devil cares about economy is because once he can build a trap around how you make a living, he's really got you trapped. And every oppressive system will build its economy on the oppressions of others. And the devil loves it because he wants to destroy the image of God. And so Egypt's empire was demonically influenced to be an empire built on the conscripted services of the Israelites. And when God comes and says, give up your empire, let my people go, repent, they can't give it up, they can't hear, they can't see. McNamara could not see during the Vietnam War everything he could see 20 years later. Why? Why? He had the power during the war. And he didn't have the power after it. And today, God will as today the enemy is doing the same thing. He is establishing systems benefit from the people who are oppressed. he have got us in a trap. And that's why God's economy is an economy of grace. Freely you've been given. Freely you share. There are no oppressed people in God's economy. And sometimes we make Christianity so mystical and as like professional people and making like, you know, we we make it so mystical when when it it's as simple as I don't want to get cast out of the synagogue and lose my pension. I don't want to follow Jesus because it means I'm going to have to leave my old system and the way it worked and the rules that I learned for a new system and a new group of rules. I'm going to have to stop putting my faith in the bank of Jerusalem and put my faith in the bread of life. It's hard. It's hard because our eyes were taught to see. One way: go to school, get good grades, go to a good college, get a great job, get a six-figure salary, save up, be rich, move to the suburbs, have a big house, have vacation two weeks. Right? We're taught it. Drug game taught the same thing. Start on the corner, be the lookout, become the main man. Now I've got the car with the rims. I got right. Everywhere we go, it doesn't matter, rich or poor, people are building empires that oppress other people, that find somebody to prey on, to get things from. It's wicked, and God hates it. Why does he hate it? he just hates people. Because it hurts people. And so Jesus comes to this blind man, and guys, you've got to check this out. This blind man doesn't have any clue about Jesus. He's just sitting there, being a man born blind. That's all. He's just in there. He doesn't call out to Jesus. Nobody brings him to Jesus. He's people ask a question about him. They want to make him a pawn. They want to make him a political point. Jesus, will, he will have none of that. Jesus sees you as a person. Period. You are not an argument for God. He loves you. He loved this blind man. He said, said, I'm going to glorify myself through this guy. This guy was born blind. What did Jesus do? Jesus came and opened his eyes. This guy never had access to take care of himself. He could never see. Just think about what he didn't have because he was blind. And all of a sudden, he can have it all. Right? All of a sudden, everything that he didn't have before, he can have it all. If you're poor and now somebody shows you a way to make some money, all of a sudden you got something you never had before. You have some power you never had before. You can go in someplace a say, hey, i like that and hand it to you. Wow, that's more powerful than I felt when I was little. And we didn't know how we were going to get fed. Now I'm feeling this power. I like this power. What are you doing to get that power? Oh, let's not talk. Let's not talk. But what happens to this blind man? This is important. What happens to this blind man? After God heals him, he is immediately presented with a question. Are you going to stay with the one who healed you? Are you going to be cast out? Or are you going to throw Jesus under the bus and take your eyes and go be a part of the system that everybody else is? Guys, why is John putting this in there? This blind man is you and me. God opens our eyes spiritually. We were blind. We couldn't see anything. We couldn't see. You can't blame a blind person for stumbling around in the darkness. You can't blame sinners for sinning. That's their state. All right? here comes Jesus, the born-again project, and he opens the blind man's eyes. And now the blind man has to choose. I'm going to stay in the synagogue of Satan. I'm going to stay part of this corrupt community that's all jacked up. I'm going to stay on the block. I'm going to stay in my white privilege and just post stay in my small town and never go to Chicago. Why would anyone want to live there? They shoot each other. That's crazy. But right? that's not my problem. We're just going to stay in the system. God gives you a little bit of healing, and you can jump right back into the system. But what's kind of cool about this guy I think he's got an advantage on a lot of us. He never had a place in that system to begin with. Do you hear what the Pharisee said to him? You were born in utter sin. He was at the lowest rung. He was the dirty person, he was the unclean. We do that in our culture too. We have people that we say they're no good, right? And he could choose to be part of it, to be part of the very thing that despised him. This guy doesn't just love his physical sight. Something else has been opened for him. And so then, after opening his physical sight, Jesus comes and ask him to make a choice. Jesus comes and says, Will, will you be my follower? And this guy knows if he follows Jesus, it's not just, you know, so when I die one day, I can go to heaven. He's going to have to give me food because I just got cast out. He's going to have to be my protection because I'm no longer going to have it. This is a for real discipleship moment. Each of us have to live in light of that. We as a church have got to be more of a boot camp church than a Burger King church. We're here to make disciples. We're here to help people count the cost. To take up their cross and follow Jesus. So here's my question for us today. What can't God tell you right now? What is it you just can't hear? What is it that you just cannot see? Because to see it would mean something you are going to be cast out of. See, Pharaoh had the chance to see, but he couldn't let go of his slaves and his power. What is that for you? What is it you can't hear God say? If God said, I want you to pray four hours a day for on," What would you be able to hear that? And if not, why not? If God said, quit your job today, would you be able to hear that? If not, why not? If God said, forgive somebody that you're angry at, can you hear that today if not why not Guys there are acts of humility there are moments there are activities that prove that our dependence is on God You really have to look at how do you spend your time Where is your brain where is your mind set on Where's your security Where is your foundation? Is it Jesus? If you were going to be cast out, would you still put your trust in him and know that he's going to take care of you? There's two steps. There's a revelation. Jesus is God. That's a powerful one. Then there's a choice. He said, Jesus said to him, you have seen him. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of me? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say it, we see your guilt remains. Are you living a life like one who thinks they see and thinks they understand? Or are you living your life like one who knows what you can't see? And you are desperate for a God can be your Amen.